Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. People in Multnomah and Clackamas counties who are addicted to fentanyl will soon have a new place to go for inpatient treatment. A 16-bed center is opening in East Portland on September 1st. That's Friday. It'll be the first alcohol and drug withdrawal management facility in the state that was paid for with funding from Measure 110. Recovery Works Northwest has offered medication-assisted treatment for opioid addiction for nearly a decade, but this is going to be the first time they'll be operating an inpatient facility. Joe Bezeghi is the Director of Engagement at Recovery Works Northwest, and he joins us now. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Lovely. When did people at Recovery Works first start to notice that fentanyl had arrived on the scene? Well... Fentanyl as a illicitly produced substance in our street drug supply became it's become an increasing problem for about four years now and it has proliferated. So we no longer really see a lot of the more traditional street opioids that we were familiar with, heroin or pharmaceutical pills that have made their way to the street. Nowadays we see a lot of either fentanyl specifically, or fentanyl-contaminated opioids. What has that meant for the work that you do? It has changed our work dramatically. Uh, We provide services that aid people in their choice to recover from addictions. And the majority of our clients and participants have been addressing opioid addictions. Well, tools that previously were very, very effective that our physicians offered, that our behavioral health professionals offered, these are no longer as effective as they previously were. And that's due to the nature of fentanyl. It's far more potent, and it has a different profile in how it interacts with the body and how it exits the body. These complicate the works. My understanding is that this inpatient treatment center that's opening on Friday that you're here to talk about, this wasn't Recovery Works Northwest's initial plan. So what happened? That's right. So a, uh, a congruence of, of trends came, you know, came together at the same, roughly the same time. So our physicians were becoming more and more aware of, of the challenges and dangers presented by uh, illicitly produced fentanyl. At the same time, Measure 110 was, was kicking into gear. So while our physicians were meeting to discuss responses to this new, very, very dangerous, challenging trend, we were also working to expand our outpatient programs. And in that search and in that investigation, we came across a facility that was very well suited for short-stay, medically monitored withdrawal management. So just as we were contemplating our response to Measure 110's initial request for proposals, uh, we found a facility that w- basically just it met the needs that our physicians were, were really describing was that for our traditional tools, such as buprenorphine-based medicine-assisted treatment, to be effective, they needed an inpatient environment where people could be under medical supervision for three to seven days while they stabilized on these medicines that 
support recovery, and, and reduce overdose. You know, I think to understand what those doctors were telling you, we, we should you should explain what the old model was. So for people who not even that long ago, so maybe in, in the, the first-ish wave of the new waves, people have been um, dealing with, with um, addiction to versions of opiates or opioids for a long time. But, right. but in our recent memory, say Oxycontin yes. arrived and then, and then heroin after that. For people who were addicted to, to those versions of opiates or opioids, what was the, the medical model for treatment that worked? Wonderful. That's a great question. And it, it was based in, in this most modern iteration, as you, as you mentioned, uh, a couple forms of opioid replacement therapies. So these are medicines that are managed by physicians, uh, and they provide relief of uh, cravings, and in some cases, even prophylaxis or protection against overdose in the case of a return to use. So uh, buprenorphine was approved by the Food and Drug Administration in 2001, as a, as, a, as a drug called Suboxone. And our practice, our physicians, they have concentrated on that particular tool, and it is, has been incredibly effective in helping people who were either dependent or addicted to uh, legitimate um, painkillers, such as Oxycontin, uh, or for the matter, street heroin, as we previously knew it, which was this, it was, a, it was like a black tar form of heroin that was uh, uh, produced and, and distributed on the West Coast. And, and very potent stuff. Well, what would Suboxone, buprenorphine, what would it do it, to someone's brain or body? How, how does it actually help? Yeah, it's what the, what the docs call, it's, it's, a partial, uh, it's a partial agonist opioid. So what it does is, is it, it's actually itself an opioid. But it's a very long-acting opioid, and it only targets parts of the brain that are associated with the physical mechanisms of withdrawal and sickness and all, as well, craving. So it doesn't provide euphoria, such as like an oxycodone would or, or heroin or fentanyl. Um, so physicians are able to manage this medication over time. It's non-toxic and safe when, when managed uh, by a physician. Uh, so... With this medicine, uh, folks could go see a doctor in in, in a outpatient setting, like go see your, your your doctor's visits, anywhere from you see them a couple weeks at uh, every every week or so to begin with, and then as you stabilize on it, you only need to see the doc every month or so to get your prescription filled, and with that, people are no longer experiencing the cravings that that lead to drug seeking behavior, and they're able to start doing a number of things such as gain employment repair relationships in their life, uh, and begin to do the, the inward-facing work associated with uncovering the root causes of addiction and compulsive behaviors like this. And that's you know myriad and complex, but oftentimes um, involves uh, significant personal trauma histories, and, and really work with behavioral health and mental health specialists can really, really speed that process or, or aid that process. So when folks were taking buprenorphine, um, managed by a physician, they were no longer engaged in the chase of illicitly produced street opioids. So why doesn't that model you've just described, an outpatient model, why doesn't that in general work for fentanyl? 
so fentanyl is uh, challenging on so many levels, and and in many ways it was uh, it was unexpected. So we found ourselves in in this profession, um, you know, almost reacting, and and it, but we're we're getting to the point of response now. Uh, but fentanyl is in 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 the in the physicians' language, they talk about morphine equivalent units, and so it is one hundred times more potent than than morphine. So a you know roughly a a milligram. Uh, fentanyl is equivalent to 100 milligrams of morphine. Uh, because of this, when folks are uh, using fentanyl to, um, you know, solve whatever problems they are solving in, a, in an addictive cycle, what ends up happening is tolerance grows quicker. People end up taking significantly more substance into their body to to achieve the same ends as they would with uh, morphine, heroin, oxycodone, or otherwise. This has to do with opioid tolerance, and uh, as people use opioids over time, what what used to do it yesterday, it doesn't do it anymore. You need more, and that's that idea of chasing doses or chasing the dragon, or however people say. So people now, you know, a couple years ago, folks would come in with serious heroin problems, and they might be IVing uh, several grams a day. Well, nowadays, because of the proliferation of fentanyl and how cheap and available it is. People are coming in, taking just uh, undreamed of quantities of opioids into their system. Additionally, one other complication is how it interacts with the body. So traditional opioids, uh, they're processed through the body in a way that they're eliminated in about 72 hours. Fentanyl has this very interesting character to it where it becomes uh, stored in the fat cells and is released unevenly and unpredictably over a much longer period of time than 72 hours. All of which adds up to the necessity of, uh, of having a doctor on hand and having somebody be um, an inpatient for up to a week That's just right. to, to get to a, 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 a version of stable. Yes. So, right. I should just remind folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about the first inpatient alcohol and drug treatment facility in the state um, that's going to be paid for with funding from Measure 110. It's scheduled to open in East Portland on Friday. Joe Bezeghi is the director of engagement uh, at Recovery Works Northwest. They are the company that is running this new center. Whenever people who are in recovery from opioid addiction have described withdrawal it's always sound, it sounded to me like, like a waking nightmare. Mm-hmm. That was before fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Is fentanyl withdrawal even worse? Yeah, hands down and without question, it, it provides uh, a, a more significant withdrawal symptoms and, and they're less predictable, which is part of the, uh, the, the, the necessity of having this space where folks can be monitored by physicians, nursing staff over time. Well, can you give us a sense for what <clears throat> those physicians and nursing staff, the, the, the people who are now staffed up yep. and they're going to be starting work in just a couple of days, what they might be seeing, what people who show up might be experiencing for a couple of days? Well, generally, when folks come into the environment, you know, we work with, we do everything we can to do outreach and pre-engagement so that we're working with people before their journey starts at, at the withdrawal management facility. However, when people come in, they're they're in chaotic and active cycles of addiction. So people are going to come in terrified of the withdrawal process. It's it's the process of becoming as as physically sick 
as a person can can really experience uh, in many ways. I mean, it, it affects the whole body. And so people come in really, really afraid of that process. It's one reason why people are, are hesitant to engage with treatment. And, and it's, it's worth mentioning, this is the beginning of treatment. This is just the process of, of waning folks off of these high doses of street opioids, also alcohol as well in this facility. This facility will also treat alcohol uh, dependence as well. Um, so while they're with us, the, the benefit of having medical staff on hand is that all of these different symptoms that range from incredible body aches and pains to gastrointestinal symptoms to you know in, ear, nose, throat stuff, and it's like a whole body thing. It's, it's a waking nightmare. Uh, physicians can offer medications that support this process and, and add comfort and reduce the traumatic nature of the withdrawal as well, and we, we consider this to be a very important piece of the puzzle, they can help to stabilize them on medications that will support continued recovery, abstinence from, from street drug use, uh, reduced cravings, and potentially the most important being the, the absolutely deadly nature of fentanyl, uh, prophylaxis against overdose, even in the case of return to use. That's actually something that we've talked about a lot recently, especially when uh, some some recent um, overdose data came from emergency room calls, or I should say uh, 911 calls in Multnomah yeah. County. But we've heard that one of the most dangerous times for people in terms of potentially fatal overdoses mm -hmm. is when they return to use, if they return to use, which is actually sadly very common. Yes. Um, but we've skipped ahead to sort of say day seven. Um, how do people even, how will people get there in the first place? One of the things you said at the beginning is that you aid people in their choice mm -hmm. to address their addictions. Yes. How will people end up walking through your door? So Recovery Works Northwest, uh, in, in our experience and just in our philosophy, we understand that treatment when voluntarily engaged with has better outcomes. So while we do work with community partners, across the board, in, including partners and partnerships that we value with uh, corrections and uh, with uh, parole and probation, all that. However, in all cases, Recovery Works is an open door where people choose to walk through in one form or another. Uh, and that can be either by our front door, literally walking into any of our outpatient clinics. We have three in operation currently with a fourth coming online soon, uh, and or a phone call uh, to our number, 503-906-9995, uh, 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 or um, by working with one of our many, many, many partners in the community who offer uh, other services that support people recovering. Methadone and now Suboxone, they've been a around for a while, and it seems like there are best practices, decades-old best practices, at least, for, for their, their use in medication-assisted treatment. But we're only a few years into this version of, of the crisis, the fentanyl crisis. I mean, is it fair to say that on some level you are all still figuring out what you're doing? Yes, and this is the practice of medicine because, um, you know, this, we don't live in a, in a world of stasis and, and change is inevitable. And so in the work that we do, uh, we, are, we are constantly working to understand new trends, um, not only in the, in the treatment world, but also what our participants are experiencing, you know, how they are interacting with substances on the street uh, and how this, those substances are changing. Yes, it's a moving target. That actually just 
seems like a major challenge. Indeed, it is absolutely. And this is um, this is this is a matter of life and death now because and it always has been. But that that urgency is uh, just without question. It, it is it has increased significantly. Um, we are experiencing a public health emergency, and uh, you know, and and I feel like I appreciate this venue. Because I do feel like this is worthy of our our community's um, you know time and, and resource here. Did you encounter any nimbyism from immediate neighbors um, when you proposed this site to be um, a new inpatient drug and alcohol tre- drug and alcohol treatment center? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, with the site that we found was so uniquely suited to what we're doing. It was already we didn't re- we didn't necessitate a change in occupancy permit or anything like that because it was already a group living environment, uh, and it was and it was purposely and custom built for that. So it is in uh, southeast uh, Portland. However, the way that the lot is built, it's it's removed from the street. It already has like some 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 connection that that. Um, uh, some built architecture that helps remove it, you know, from necessarily this, the neighborhood around it, uh, and we haven't had any uh, any direct pushback on the use of the space. Um, in fact, some neighboring properties are also already engaged in the recovery sector. So we're hoping to maybe make I don't know maybe some. There's already even just with the couple that exist, maybe a little hub of something happening in that part of Portland. Hmm. Can you give us a sense for how you think an, an average patient m- might be doing it and, and what they might need after, say, five days? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the most important question of all. And you were alluding to earlier. So while they're with us, it's worth saying, you know, they're going to have a, a, the, the facility is built for trauma-informed spaces. It's wide open. There's lots of natural light. All of the uh, aesthetic is built towards calm. It is not a lockdown facility. So it is, we, we, we built with the intention of uh, humane spaces. Uh, people will get three, you know, home cooked on-site meals a day. Uh, and then um, a lot of opportunity uh, to connect with uh, behavioral health resources when they're ready. So that's not forced. If I could just stop you right there. Yeah. I still want to get the answer to the question I just asked. But, yeah, thank you. but I mean, you, you said it's not a lockdown facility. Yeah. What, what would prevent somebody, it seems like a very rational decision if they're going through physical and mental and emotional agony and if they know that they can walk out the door and probably within 10 blocks or mm-hmm. within two hours mm-hmm. find what you know what they might call medicine to get well mm-hmm. again to, mm-hmm. to you know find some fentanyl why won't they just do that yeah the the uh uh the purpose of the facility is so that our physicians can provide medications that will make that period of traumatic suffering as short and as managed as possible. So they're going to be able to offer medications in such a manner they wouldn't be able to offer in an outpatient setting. And therefore, that's going to ameliorate some of those really difficult symptoms. Anybody that has a level of commitment to a new life without the need to compulsively self-administer these very dangerous contaminated drugs. If they, if there's an, any window of openness, these physicians have uh, within their scope of practice in that environment to offer some more tools to really support their staying there. And again, 
it's a it's a beautiful place and there's nice food and they might not be able to eat it day one or two but there's other things that we're, we're just wrapping around to help people feel safe okay so to go back to that my earlier question mm-hmm. so d- day five yep. obviously everybody is is, is an individual mm-hmm. but but what's your expectation for what an average patient where they might be mm-hmm. um, when they're more stabilized and what they might need mm-hmm. yes and this is the most important question of all because when people are uh, stable on, say, a dose of medication should they choose. Of course, no one's forced to take medication. So that's another thing where they'll self-select. I would like medications to support my recovery and to, and, and, and to keep me safe after this. But once that process is done, they're going to be, um, they're going to be eating. They're going to be obviously walking on their own. They're going to be living without a, a terrible sense of, um, uh, of pain or anxiety due to withdrawal. Uh, stable on their medication is, is our hope people will choose to go down that path when it makes sense. Uh, at that point, then they are ready to move on from the facility. This isn't, uh, this isn't a, a housing long term. Um, this is just solving the problem of how can we get folks uh, uh, with the least trauma possible off of these high doses of, of street opioids. So day five, maybe day, could be day four in some people's cases, maybe day seven. Whenever the medical staff uh, have determined this person is physically capable of, of moving forward to the next step. They will be, by, by that point, already very familiar with case management and, and behavioral health resources on site there. And what that means is these are going to be people that are going to be there to make sure they know all of their different options to continue forth their treatment, whether that is with one of our partners in the community in a residential setting, 30, 60, 90 days of residential treatment. That's a beautiful option for some. Recovery Works ourselves, we offer a what we call a housed intensive outpatient program for fentanyl, adult male, fentanyl, male identifying fentanyl users. And that's one different option where they could be housed for four to six months without paying for it. And they'll just engage with outpatient treatment um, on a very significant level. Uh, or um, there's many other different resources. But one thing we know for sure is everybody that needs housing should be offered uh in access a pathway to supported housing. This is something Measure 110 has really helped us to really facilitate. There's so many more supported housing resources online for people that are really addressing their uh, their, their substance use issues. I should say this is something that we talked about, but it's been a little while. I'd love to get your thoughts on it because when when the money from Measure 110 finally started going out, there were some people who said, wait a minute, I thought this was going to be for drug treatment. Why, why are you putting money into housing? Mm-hmm. What's your answer to that? Uh, our, our housed IOP for... Uh, uh, for housed I- IOP? Yeah, so it, it's, it's a housed outpatient treatment program. And, and, and it's a very... It, it involves significant engagement with outpatient treatment. So that house, this is a partnership that was facilitated by Measure 110 exclusively with a local organization called Bridges to Change. And Bridges to Change provides houses and housing environments across a continuum for folks that are addressing their substance use uh, concerns, their, their substance use distress. So uh, because Measure 110 funded five categories of services, uh, that's low barrier and freely accessible substance use treatment. That's supported housing, supported employment, peer services, and also expungement services. Uh, it's this whole uh, it's this whole group of services that support people to uh, not only go to treatment but also f- be able to find stability to address their their wellness goals, especially around substance use disorder, um, on, on on a broader 
more holistic set, scale. You can, um, and in just a couple of days, you'll be able to take care of 16 people at a time at this at new time. facility. Can you give us a sense for the level of need out there? I can tell you uh, the need is overwhelming and we are under-resourced. And I can say this from personal experience, uh, working with folks currently in this landscape and, and also with so many different community partners. So 16 beds, it doesn't sound necessarily like a lot of beds. We're treating people on average from you know three to seven days, let's call it an average of five days. This is hundreds and hundreds, we, you know, over 1,200 treatments per year we'll be able to offer from that one facility. It also represents an increase of roughly 18% in, in withdrawal management capacity in the city of Portland. So we have now, in, in, in a short time, we'll be admitting some folks into our space there, and, and we'll be at a total of 90 detox beds in the city of Portland. This is woefully under-resourced. So our team, the reason, another reason that we realized we had to do this is that we have been relying on withdrawal management resources uh, in uh, Otis, Oregon, and in uh, Coburg, Oregon, and and we've been having to sh we've been having to shuttle people all around the state. Meaning, people in the Portland area have to mm -hmm. go to Lane Correct. County or further away t to get these services. Absolutely, because our our primary service providers in town who. Uh, all the whole community of Portland, and just from my personal perspective, owes a deep, amazing amount of gratitude to the folks at Central City Concerns Hooper facility, as well as Fora Health's facility as well, because they've been doing it alone, and 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 the there's waitlists every day, and so someone who is who is you know in in the throes of this deadly addiction comes to a place of readiness, says I'm ready. They come to us. They say, Hey, recovery works. We're ready. We're ready now. So we say. Okay, great. Well, now we're going to drive you to a couple different places, make phone calls, and we're going to go through a process of you being turned away several times. Just keep showing up every day. We don't have that. We just don't have that that level uh, of uh, uh, um, you know. It, 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 that's a, that's a deadly equation, and it's proven so. Joe Bezeki, thanks very much. Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Joe, Joe Bezeki is the director of engagement with Recovery Works Northwest. They are about to open the first inpatient drug and alcohol treatment facility in the state that is going to be paid for with funding from Measure 110. Think Out Loud and all of OPB's reporting in our communities are made possible by the support of our members. Do your part to help make it happen. Become a sustaining member now at opb.org slash pod.